When you enrich the lives of your employees through purpose-powered leadership, they'll grow your business for you. Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where you'll discover how to champion a culture of courage and love. Stop dealing with symptoms and get to the root of the problems in your business. This is the Higher Purpose Podcast with your host, Kevin Monroe. It's time for another episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Monroe, and I am ecstatic about today's episode. At this point, I don't recall how I was first introduced to our guest, but what I remember is when stumbling upon one of her books, and at that time, Bernadette had written four, I consumed four books in four days by one author, something I can't say I've ever done before, and we were engaging in conversations over Twitter. Now, granted, it was over the holidays, and I had more time than usual to read, But there was something so refreshing about Bernadette Jiwa and her writing, I knew I had met a kindred soul. So Bernadette has just released her sixth book, Story Driven. You don't need to compete when you know who you are. I'll say it here, what I've already told you in person, Bernadette. Having read, appreciated, and enjoyed all of your books, this Story Driven is your best yet. And I'm thrilled that you're joining us from the land down under to talk about it. I'm sure our listeners everywhere will enjoy today's conversation and that our Australian listeners will be delighted to have a fellow Aussie join us. So let's get started. Hey, Bernadette, it is such a delight to have you join us. And and you're joining from Australia. Is that correct? I am. I'm in Melbourne this morning. It's a it's a bit of an overcast autumn day, but we're okay. We need the rain, so that's all right. Well, it's fun. It's always fun when we chat because I'm wrapping up my day, and you're just starting what would be our tomorrow. So that's a. I know we we sort of love being ahead, <laughs> ahead of the game. No, I don't mean that. In a let's not go there at the moment. Uh, I think we'll come to that later in the podcast. Well, hey, as we're getting started here, Bernadette, what's something you'd like those listening to know about you that allows them to connect with you as a person? Um, I don't think we've talked about this before the last time I spoke with you, Kevin, but I am the mother of three young men. And that, more than anything else that I've done in my life, has been the making of me. So mm. that's something I want people to know. Uh, it keeps me very grounded. They keep me very grounded, uh, I will say. And how old are they now? My eldest is 26. And then my middle son is just almost 23. And then I've got twenty, a 20-year-old. Do you see how good that planning was, three years apart? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Get them through university or almost. I said that to my husband actually a couple of, um, a few weeks ago when our, our youngest son graduated early and I said, they've all got a degree, they can all drive and they can all swim. We're done. <laughs> but we're not done. We know we're not done. Yeah. I was going to say, our children are a little bit older, Bernadette, and I can tell you, you're not done. And you no, know that. We're I'm never not. done. It, it changes. Hmm. But we're never done. And we don't want to be done, right? No, no. Obviously not. No. Okay, so um, 
we have two children, a son and a daughter. Son's 30, daughter's 28. Or I guess our son just turned 31. Yeah. Uh, and we have a granddaughter. And now that is a whole nother uh, fun season of life. Oh, congratulations. We, we have a kitten and just newly acquired. And I will tell you, it's made me very scared about grandchildren because I, it's my son's kitten and I feel so responsible if anything happens to her when he's not around or um, on my watch. I think, how would I cope with a grandchild? It would be such a huge responsibility. Okay, well, before we dive in and talk about story driven, which I really want to do, I'm excited to do with you, but let's talk about your path to becoming a writer of now six books, Bernadette. What's the story behind that? The story uh, behind that is what came before the writing, which was a desire to answer interesting questions and to think through problems. And what I've found is that writing helps me to think through problems so for example the sorts of questions i used to ask myself and geek out on were why did these two cafes who are right next door to each other on the same strip with the same opportunity to attract customers in the door why does one succeed and thrive and have a queue out the door and the other one is empty Mm. Uh, so those kind of puzzles got me writing. And so then I started blogging. Um, it's about, uh, eight years ago. And then, then I felt worked, worked up to books. I felt the need to answer the questions in a more meaty way in a progression. And that's how the books have come about. So it's been a fun journey. Well, you know I'm a fan of your books. I've read them all. Um, you. And you, you still hold this unique title uh, in, in my world. You're the only person I can say that I, I've met uh, and read four of your books in four days. Uh, so How I think you do that? <laughs> as thick as Moby Dick, because that might be, a, that, that would have been tough. You know? oh, uh, wow. But when I first found you, Bernadette, I mean, there was, and that's what I want to ask you about. You write so passionately. Uh, personally and, and persuasively. And, and I mean, I just, the moment I started reading, I felt I had a connection with you that was authentic. So did that come naturally for you? I guess I, I don't know how to write any other way. I don't have any formal training as a writer. So nobody would be more surprised than my English teacher to know that I've authored uh, <laughs> any books. Um, so I, I guess my readers have given me the courage to do that. Mm. To, to, you know, I'm sure if you look back at my first blog post, it wasn't as personal as the, as the things that I am able to write today. And I can only do that because of people like you who give me feedback and encouragement to say this is resonating. And so please do more of it. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. So let's focus in on this latest book, Story Driven. Um, why this book and why now in, in your life or in your journey? So over the course of 10 years doing this work with businesses, helping them to uncover what's different about them, helping them to understand how to differentiate themselves in the marketplace and tell their story well, I've seen too many people and too many companies fail to live up to their potential because they get caught up in the, what I call the comparison trap. Mm. 
and I wanted to help more people to understand and see what's unique about them and then to thrive by working with and celebrating that, not trying to mimic what they mm. think other people are doing well. Okay. So the, the subtitle of the book really, uh, I think, reveals what you want to communicate and what you were just saying. And when I read it, Bernadette, I, I, I was just uh, captivated. And I actually was talking about it with a friend uh, maybe two hours ago. And when I shared with him the subtitle, he said, tell me that again. I got to write that down. You don't need to compete when you know who you are. Bernadette, do you really believe that? I believe it wholeheartedly. I see evidence of it every day. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't have spent two years working at the best way to communicate the thing in, in the message in a book. But uh, you know, when we stop looking over our shoulder at what other people are doing, we're free to contribute in a way that only we can. And when you think about the people we admire and the people we want to emulate they're doing that thing they're not trying to be something other than who they are um and i know i know sometimes there is this message oh just be yourself and and that that sounds simpler it sounds like the simplest thing of all to do and sometimes we find it the the hardest thing to do because it involves being vulnerable yeah so there, there's the poet, E.E. E. Cummings, whose mm -hmm. poem on this that I just love and use a, a, quite often in presentations, to be nobody but yourself in a world that's doing its best night and day to make you everybody else. Is I had that quote in the I was going to say, yeah, you repeat that again because it's so beautiful. It was one of the quotes that I had in the book at one stage, and I I took it out because I felt like everybody knew it. But if you would say it again, that would be wonderful. To be nobody but yourself in a world that's doing its best night and day to make you somebody else is the hardest battle any of us ever fights and never stops fighting. So... Do you see this being equally relevant for any size and type business? Absolutely. When I was um, when I was writing this book, I, one of the inspirations and one of the motivations for writing the book, I think you know, is the fact that I lost my brother when he was only thirty-one, and so he was a person who didn't get the chance to fulfill this potential. Um, so it starts with us, right? It, businesses are made up, with, made up of individuals trying to contribute and trying to do meaningful work. So it starts with each individual wanting to make their contribution. Yeah. And, it, and this, this model, this message works whether you are GE or whether you are uh, Tesla, whether you're Elon Musk, or Richard Branson, or you and I, it works for everybody. Hmm. Okay, and so in the book, you contrast this, or even in the subtitle, you don't need to compete when you know who you are. So hmm. what's wrong with competing to win? When we compete to win, we become reactive to the competitive landscape. 
uh, rather than responsive to the needs of our communities and our customers. Um, so what, what happens is when you think about many businesses, the founder sees an unmet need and they say, you know what, people are thirsty here. We're going to set up this cafe because we really want to serve this community. And this is how we're going to do it in our unique way. So the, the genesis of the business is uh, something quite wholesome. It's, it's focusing on what they can contribute. And then suddenly uh, they see a threat in, on the horizon and they start competing with uh, the other business down the street and they dilute the thing that made them great, which was this focus on the customer. And so instead of uh, becoming responsive to the community or the customer, we start to compete with the, mm. with the uh, other people along the strip and then we dilute what made us just fabulous. So um, that's it in a nutshell, the difference between responsive and reactive. Um, and the idea that, you know, you're not just in the business of, competing only to win of course you have to you have to make a profit to succeed and keep playing the game again tomorrow but it's not about only one measure of success right yeah it's not a zero-sum game yeah exactly that's not the only measurement mm -hmm. so what is it that companies who start out being responsive how is it that they lose their way and, and be, become reactive? Oh, lots of factors. Sometimes it's because they have um, a measure of success and they are now thinking how they're going to better that. So we start looking at uh, only one metric. Mm -hmm. So let's look at our the tragic uh, situation cricket Australia are in at the moment the Australian cricket team I'm not sure if any of your listeners are fans of cricket but our cricket team is lauded here in this country as our sportsmen are and they have been caught cheating um, in in South Africa and our our nation is distraught because it, it communicates to us that there's something wrong with, um, you know, our values there and that we are, you know, they're only competing to win. They're not just thinking about how, how to win or um, the privilege of playing. They're thinking about just getting runs on the board and by any means. So that, um, that has really destroyed the pride we have in our sports people. And, it, and the same goes for business too. Um, mm. If you're only competing to win by one metric, which is you know, having the most of something, the most customers, the most money, um, that is a zero sum game, as you say, because somebody else, there's always gonna be somebody else to catch up to. And uh, you're going to start focusing on how to do that as opposed to how to best serve your customers. Okay. In the book, you write that every business, this is a quote, every business is driven by one or one of two philosophies. A company is either competition driven or story driven. So what's the difference? The difference is, as we alluded to, that um, 
the competition-driven business is reactive to the competitive landscape. So one of the examples in the book, uh, I draw a parallel between the Volkswagen company and Tesla. So Volkswagen being reactive to the competitive landscape, tried to compete to win, and then ended up compromising on, I would say, the values of a lot of the people in the company. Uh, some some people looked for a shortcut to mm to do that and then you have the diesel gate and the emissions scandal whereas you have a company like tesla that's responsive to customers needs and not only that but the need that down the track that we are you know are we are going to face where we are going to run out of resources and so they are trying to clean up uh the planet not just to get us into a fast car so it's a more responsive approach. And the interesting thing is that you will now find, if you look at Volkswagen's messaging, is that they are saying, we are the company to stop Tesla. We, they're now going into electric vehicles. And what's, what's ironic about that, uh, the fact that they now see themselves as competing with Tesla, is they are actually fulfilling Tesla's mission. They're working towards Tesla's mission as um, which is is fantastic. I'm sure that um, Elon Musk probably thinks that's wonderful. The more electric cars on the road is a is a win for Tesla. They don't need right. to supply all electric cars. Right. They're they're leading a movement. Mm -hmm. And when people join the movement, that's that's a win. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, what's the connection you see between being purpose driven and being story driven? Um, there's a lot of talk about purpose. I, I know you talk a lot about it, but purpose is only one part of our story. Right. Um, it's not all of it. We need to connect to the genesis of that purpose. So think about not just what's your why, but why is that your why? And, and that, was a, that was a question I felt wasn't being addressed. There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, conversation being had about, well, what's our why? But then the next question is, why is that our why? And, and how do we, why are we the people to have that mission or purpose? Okay. And likewise, it's okay if, if, more than one company has a similar why as long as it's their why right well exactly they can it's easy to um find the thread of where that came from there there are companies like a patagonia working to to make um manufacturing more ethical in the clothing business more ethical and they're working to uh, conserve resources there are more than there's more than just patagonia working towards doing that so you need to you need to understand the genesis of why that's your purpose that you didn't just pluck it out of thin air because oh it looks like patagonia are making money doing that thing right. we should do that too it's not a, it's not about jumping on the bandwagon it's about finding something that really is true to you well, well, just as there's this purpose movement, there is this real focus on story um, mm. globally and, and communicating through story. And, and I think what you're touching on there is that a lot of companies have jumped on purpose just because 
they feel they have to. And a lot of companies are jumping on story and trying to tell story or use story. But I guess what's really what shines through is it's not their story. Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to co-opt or hijack someone else's story and, and use it, right? And when that happens, it's so obvious because story is not just about telling a story. It's about living the story. So let's go back to Patagonia as an example. They live that story in every single business decision they make. Mm. Um, Just as Apple lives their story, just as Starbucks lives their story, just as some of the smaller businesses I feature in the book live their story. Um, in their hiring decisions, in their uh, any strategic decision, even if it's going to cost them money in the short term. And that's the other thing. Story is not just, uh, uh, you know, let's just put this lipstick on a pig to achieve this short-term goal. It's, it's part of your uh, long-term vision for your company and how you are going to build affinity with your customers and your clients, not just how you're going to attract clients. Well, I loved what you said there, Bernadette, that story is not just telling a story. Mm. It's living that story in everything you do. Yeah. That's beautiful. Okay. So now in the book, you also talk about uh, the secret to building a great company. Mm. What is that? Um, You you picked this quote out and uh, I'm glad you did um, that great companies don't try to matter by winning they win by mattering and if that goes back to the thing I was just speaking about which is creating this affinity this strong bond and sense of belonging uh, with your customers so that they they want you to succeed and uh, you are you're serving each other in the end. Um, you are working with each other. So, um, mm. you know, it, it's, it's not just, it's a win-win situation. It's not just about how we are going to gain more as business owners. It's how we are going to contribute more to everybody. Wow. Okay. It's not how you're going to gain more. It's how you're going to contribute more. Yes, I did. Bernadette, there were some sentences in in your book that I just thought were masterful. And that was one of them. They don't try to matter by winning. They win by mattering. Uh, I love that contrast. So with that, when when that relationship is in place, do you believe that, that the people that are in relationship with the companies that they believe are authentic, that they extend grace when the company makes, flubs something up, when they make a mistake, not a Volkswagen deceit, not something we're trying to cheat and get by, but when there's just an honest mistake. Um, honest mistakes. Well, cheating is a thing, uh, you know, very topical here right now. And it's not just companies, it's also governments, it's also sports teams, it relates to every aspect of our lives, even families. And when we feel let down, when we feel that the people we trusted really compromised on um our collective values because we share the same values as them. That's why we support them. Then it's a breach of trust. Um, So in the end, I think 
it depends on the scale of the mistake that that the cheating was deliberate in the Volkswagen case. The cheating was premeditated in the um, cricket case. So we find it very hard because we start to question how we could be deceived by these people we trusted. And it's not just companies we trusted, the people in, in the companies we trusted. So it's, it's very hard to redeem yourself from something like that. On the flip side, if it's, if it's a genuine mistake, of course, we're going to, uh, it's, of course, we're going to be more forgiving, but when it's premeditated and there's clearly a track record of that, then, then it doesn't, you know, we find it hard. We find it very hard. It's human nature. Oh, absolutely. But I was thinking more of like when a company has announced the release of a product, a new product, and that product is greatly anticipated, but mm. then something happens and they slip in their delivery date or they find that there's a quality flaw and the quality flaw is they could make the delivery date, but the quality flaw is beyond what's acceptable and it would affect the user experience. So they make a decision to, you know, miss a ship date or deliver date for the good of the customer or maybe something that's beyond their control. In those instances, I see forgiving from the fan base, the customers. Yeah. But now cheating or deliberate or fraud and yeah, th those things, I, I don't believe there should be a lot of uh, mm. grace for that from a company. Well, I think what you're talking about there is expectations when you disappoint yeah. um, people and People are very forgiving if you are open and you explain the reasons why you can't do something because you don't want to let them down because that then aligns with your shared values. Yeah. We couldn't do this because we don't want to compromise on, on our standard and what we want to deliver to you. How could we, how could we argue with that? We, we, we actually... We actually like people to be vulnerable in, in our presence. It creates uh, an even keener sense of trust. Mm -hmm. So Bernadette, are you, are you seeing that story and this idea of story driven, is it resonating globally? It is um, because if there's no, every culture uh, is interested in everybody from every culture is interested in doing meaningful work. Everybody from every culture is interested in building trust mm -hmm. and uh, relying on others and having a sense of community and yeah. doing great work and creating a future we want to see the whole well, part of the message of the book is you know, let's do work we're proud to have done and i i feel for people at volkswagen who are when thing when things like the emissions scandal broke because there are people there who want to do work that they're proud to have done and then they're tainted their work is tainted by this scandal yeah i think that's really telling um in any organization, whether it's an, a government or whether it's a business like Volkswagen, when mm. there are people at the top who made those decisions and withheld information or, or cheated in some way, that that doesn't reflect everybody in the company. There are a lot of people in the company that are 
equally or perhaps even more disappointed than the rest of us are because they've given their life to the company. And, you know, United Airlines being another example of that, there are, of course, cabin crew who were as distraught as we were to watch a passenger being dragged off a flight. Um, so it's not fair to say everybody in that company is um, you know, doing characterized the by that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Or don't care about people. Right. Mm. Okay, I, I want to read another quote from the book and ask you a question. But uh, there, there's a point, and I communicated this via, via social media or maybe in a, in a review I wrote. There's a point that, that your book also becomes a bit social commentary, which I just loved. Okay, so here's the quote. In our Western world of abundance and privilege, greatness is a game of comparison that drives us to achieve more. Bigger wins, more sales, hockey stick growth charts, increased market share, scale, power, and influence. Permanently higher highs that inevitably end in compromise. We have created a culture where we're not winning unless someone else is less than or losing. We're constantly trying to get our arms around what it means to be successful. Success is always something we're aiming to achieve at some point in the future, not something we can feel, not, not something we feel we can experience in the moment. Success is never now. Okay, so that's what you wrote, which I just loved. So Bernadette, how do you define success? Um, for you. Success, success for me is... A feeling, a sense that you've done the right thing, no matter what the outcome. And I, I love this quote from author Neil Gaiman. Um, he says, uh, you go and leave the world better for you having been here. Yeah. And that's success, isn't it? You know, in every moment of every day, I, no matter, not just in business, but in life. If have you left the world better for you being here today? Um, yes, that's success to me. Yeah, I just think this is really important. And, and folks, I work with, I'm always encouraging them. How do you define success? Because if we don't define it, someone else is going to define it for us. How and do you define it, Kevin? Pardon? How do you define it? Well, for me, making the world a better, brighter place, uh, being a light, shining my light, whatever light that is for others. And a lot of it for me, like you, re revolves around family. Hmm. So for years when I worked in the corporate world, I had a different definition of success. And one of those was as many nights as possible being home for family dinner was part mm -hmm. of success for me. And so okay. I did not apply for promotions that were offered because I didn't want to be gone all the time. I didn't want to live on the road. I wanted to be home. You know, that was part of success. Uh, success for me is, is being able to impact others, being able to help others discover there's more to life than, than money, fame, and fortune. And you made a really great point there, which is, which is what I'm alluding to that you don't have to climb to the top of some predetermined ladder because there seems to be this um, this notion that we need to follow a certain path. So if you, it's it's right. not it, 
you know, you should be aspiring to the next rung on the ladder when in actual fact that may not be where your strength lies. You may not be the person who who you may be a better teacher or you may be better in in the position that you're in. You may have more opportunities to create an impact in the position you're in uh, than if you had a more senior position. So it's it's understanding it's it's understanding yourself and how you best contribute too, right? Which is part Absolutely. of the message in the book. Absolutely. Um, I know that there's one of the companies that you reference in your studies that's called Small Giants, but I'm wondering, mm -hmm. are you familiar with the movement Small Giants in the book? Yeah, mm -hmm. I am. The mm -hmm. subtitle of that book is Companies That Choose to Be Great Instead of Big. Mm -hmm. And one of yeah, the things that that Bo talks about, Bo Burlingham, the uh, author of that book, that you were just talking about is there are other metrics by which to be successful. Uh, and, and so many of us have bought the message as business owners that you just have to grow, that you're, you're not succeeding if you're not growing and if you're not going to scale. Mm -hmm. And Bo has, has profiled so many companies that just said, that's one way to determine success, but that's not our way, which mm -hmm. goes back to, if you don't have your own definition, you're going to be playing someone else's game. And that's exactly, it's interesting. So small giants, the, uh, the business that I'm referencing or yeah. really them now creating a movement here in Australia in, in their own way, they are an Australian based, uh, company and they, they take their name from, they contacted Bo and said, would it be okay if we named our company after your um, book? Because it so resonates with us. So, um, so what they do is they invest in certain types of businesses that are creating an impact. They have, um, you know, property development arm where they are building communities and not just um, and sustainable communities and sustainable uh, apartment complexes and not just buildings. So they're very values driven and everything is, you know, run through a filter, not of making the most money, but making the most impact. Yeah. Okay. So we're on this contrast of small and big and in different ways. There was something else you mentioned in the book that you said, I love, uh, so I love your contrast between big questions and small choices. Mm. Will you unpack that for us? Um, when you think about uh, big questions and big goals, we think, you know, we think about big goals being achieved in, you know, giant leaps just to the next thing. But as you we're talking about your decision for your family to be home for dinner. You know, your big goals were achieved by making good small choices every day. Um, and I think that's an important distinction. We think, you know, our big goals and our big questions are answered when we make huge decisions. Yeah. And once in a while, but no, our big goals are achieved by making good small choices every day, like putting on your running shoes in the morning, right? Um, and, and you created, uh, you, you, you know, you created the kind of family you wanted to create and passed on your values to your children by being home for dinner. That's not always easy to do, but you had to, um, you had to make those good small choices in order to answer your big questions. Okay, good. I, I, I understand that more now. I like that. And, and yes, uh, I, I certainly see that. 
Hey, there's something else. I'm, I'm wondering, do you get any pushback from business schools when you write something like this line? Putting contribution before profits is still an underrated business strategy. Um, you, you, you will find always, if you're not writing something or not, if your message doesn't cause people to disagree with it, then um, that's probably not a good thing because you haven't found your right people. If everybody agrees with it, then it's probably not a great message. Um, and of course, people are going to give you pushback because they're going to say, well, without profits, then business can't thrive. But that's not what I'm actually saying. Exactly. I'm saying. I'm saying when we create value by contributing, we can't help but succeed. Right. Uh, as opposed to making the profit the goal, uh, um, you know, let's let's try and make the numbers go up this quarter. Mm. That that shouldn't be that shouldn't be the way we get to our goal. Right, letting profit be the natural result of doing great work and making contribution to the world and to your customer base. Exactly. If, uh, talk about let's talk about examples like Tesla as a, as a great example. Um, that's it's the reason they're succeeding um okay they they they've made cars that people want but they've also had to do that without compromising on on their mission and the values of the company and and sometimes they have you know found it hard and they've only gained momentum as their message begins to resonate more and more with people. So their contribution is what's helping them to succeed because it sets them above, above everybody else. Okay. And in the Tesla story, you used a word right there that I want to explore with you a moment because I love the word resonate, resonance. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and another line from your book, if I may share that, the irony is no business ever died from a shortage of attention. Companies and ideas fail because of a lack of resonance with the people they seek to serve. And, and you see resonance as the key to loyalty, to the, to the key of, of long-term success, right? Yeah, I do. It's not just me. It's, it's not just me plucking that thought out of thin air. We see it all around us. Right. Um, with brands like Airbnb, uh, with brand and we and then we the flip side of that is we see how it begins to unravel when people think oh hang on a second this doesn't resonate with with me and my values so for example at the moment facebook's going through a hard time because people say hang on a second you've broken our trust and that doesn't yeah. resonate with me so it's it's Facebook is losing resonance. It's not just about losing market share. It's not just about losing the attention of uh, that they've been competing for. It's about losing resonance, cultural resonance. Okay, so I don't think I've ever thought about this before, uh, consciously at least. What's the opposite of resonance? Have you ever thought about that? Um, hmm. <laughs> I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Just as I was no, listening, no, you have you. Yeah, you have put me on the spot. Um, I think it's dissonance. Hmm. So you know, resonance or indifference, indifference, oh. perhaps too. Um, maybe not quite indifference. Well, when you think of resonance, it means that that I'm on the same wavelength or vibration with you. Hmm. 
and I'm flowing with the music and I'm, I'm hearing the beat and the beat sounds right to me. And I'm mm. just, I'm, I'm in with it. And then all of a sudden this dissonance, you know, in jazz has some mm -hmm. dissonance by design, but they always have to resolve the dissonance before the, the set ends. And dissonance means and when you were talking about Facebook, Facebook all of a sudden is dissonant with their large mm -hmm. amounts of their user base and yeah. folks have fallen out of rhythm, out of step, out of sync with them. And many folks are abandoning them and, and giving up. And so I don't know, maybe it's not, but the, the goal of resonance, it, it happens when you're being authentic and when people are just responding to your authenticity, there, there's, you know, you don't have to make resonance happens. It does happen. Yeah. Because you're attracting like-minded people yeah. with, shared values and they're saying you're offering us something that we want in the way that we want it and it's um contributing to our lives and and we, we like it we like how we feel when we right. when we do business with you or when we belong to this community and that's um that's what's happening it, with facebook people say are saying I don't like how i feel belonging to this community so i'm i'm out of here yeah all right, another line that I want you to unpack for us, and, and I just love this one. You already have a story. You don't have to go find a story. You don't have to make up a story. You have a story. It's how you choose to interpret and use it that's key to your success. Mm -hmm. Say more about that. What do you mean? What I wanted people to connect with was their backstory, um, which is you know, why am I wired this way? What are the things in my past that made me who I am and how can I amplify them going forward? So almost reclaiming, and, and I don't just mean people as individuals and also companies, reclaiming what it is that made you unique. And uh, we, we forget that. We forget those things as we are trying to achieve more and get the next you know, piece of paper, the next qualification. We're so busy looking forward that we forget to look back. We're so busy trying to get from here to there that we forget about what got us from there to here, which is essentially what makes us great. And sometimes there are companies that have been around for years that have lost their way mm. and, and buried their story. Yeah. Do you have are. some examples of companies like that that you've, you've helped rediscover their story? I do have a story of a fabulous company that I have worked with and I'm sure they won't mind me telling their story because it's such a, such a wonderful story. So I worked with a company uh, that makes, um, if, you, if you stayed in a hotel, you've used their products. So key cards uh, helps you to enter your, your hotel room. And, you know, you probably never wondered how we got from locks and keys in hotels to key cards. So this is the company uh, that's a, the leader in this, um, in this industry. And what part of their story is, or their backstory is, that uh, a Norwegian lockmaker called Tor Sernes was a real fan of the singer Connie Francis. And he heard that she had been attacked in her hotel bedroom while she was on tour. Mm. And he was so upset about this that he, he, he sat down and he redesigned uh, the, the uh, 
entrance system to a hotel because he just couldn't bear the thought of people feeling violated when they traveled. Wow. Um, and that's the story. So when your story, people often say to me, why is it that companies like Airbnb are, you know, so, and Warby Parker are, you know, so, why are we so attracted to them and their stories? I, I think it's not because they've got a better story to tell. It's because they put their story front and center and we know their story because they've been founded in our lifetime. And what I often help companies to do is to rediscover their Genesis story. So that was a really exciting project to work on with people in in the company called Asabloy Hospitality. Um, they are... Um, a global brand but based in Europe and it was wonderful to help them discover and be proud of the fact that they were solved their their product was about solving this unmet need and not just about making an entrance system for a door but helping people to feel safe and secure when they traveled yeah I love it and there are a lot of stories of of companies that have been around for for decades or centuries that had these amazing founding stories that somehow got lost. And when they get reconnected with that, it, it's fascinating to see what that does for the company and how it rejuvenates the company and, and brings people, you know, back to the, the core. Mm -hmm. uh, so before we run out of time, you have a story driven framework, you know, kind of how would a company do this? Can you give us just the thumbnail sketch of the story-driven framework? Yeah, I hope you'll be able to share the PDF. You can you can download the PDF in in your show notes. Okay. But essentially, it's essentially if you if you think of a pyramid, since we're on audio, and it's got five steps in it. So it starts with your backstory as the foundation of the pyramid, and then the next layer of that is your values. On top of that is your purpose, which is, you know, your reason for being today. Then your vision, um, uh, which is your contribution to tomorrow. And then the last piece of it is strategy. And what's interesting is that often we jump, we try to jump from one, one of the points on that pyramid to straight to strategy without working out what the other pieces of the puzzle are. And that's sometimes where, be, where we become unstuck and, and make decisions that cost us in, in the long run. We make short-term decisions that cost us in the long run. So that's it in a nutshell. I think if people have the visual, they will be able to hopefully work through it with their own teams and or even if they're solopreneurs, work through through it. Okay. So backstory, values, purpose, vision, strategy. We will yeah. include that in the show notes. Thanks for your generosity of sharing that. And then just for for you listening, if you've not yet read the book. Bernadette actually walks through several case studies or case stories and maps company stories to each of these, shares their backstory, values, purpose, vision, and strategy. Right? That's what you do in the book. That's what I do in the book. And I've, I've consciously tried not to go with just the, um, the Apple example or the um, in the Airbnb example, if, however fabulous they are, I've tried to have a mix of companies that are smaller and bigger and 
companies you maybe haven't heard of just to make them more relatable to everyone. Yeah, no, I love that, that there were companies of all shapes, sizes, scales, different businesses, uh, some mom and pop businesses that are doing this. So it, it really did show that this can happen at any level and in any industry. It, it's, it's not that only the new companies run by millennials have a corner on the market of story. Exactly. So from gelato to software. <laughs> yeah. Take your pick. Uh, so Bernadette, I was trying to say, I'm watching our time. I, I want to get a couple more questions in here before we go. Um, so, so Bernadette, you're writing about story and you're talking about the power of story and you're talking about the power of story to change, to transform business. What do you want to see in the future of business? When you think about business, Kevin, what is it? It's it's the opportunity to create the future we want to see. Um, why do people go into business in the first place? Because they want to change something. So what I would love to see is a reconnection with this idea of less self-interest and more human interest. Because my my belief is that that's where all business starts. It's it's it starts with an interest in you know creating this shared future that we all want to see. So more human interest and, and less self-interest. I'm with you. I want to see that future of business as well. Hey, what feedback have you enjoyed receiving most so far about story driven? Some of it's been really personal. Uh, people, you know, I had I had an email from a guy who said, "I'm I'm sitting in a coffee shop. I'm trying, you know, wiping tears from my face, and you know, learning something about myself that I had forgotten." And I, you know, I hope that it's helping people to have the courage to stay true to themselves. It's so. It in some places, I think it's challenging. It's challenging us to. Um, you know, to be courageous and to say, I'd forgotten that about myself and this is what I am here to do. This is the work I'm here to do and I'm going to do that. So that's the, it's the very personal stories that I enjoy um, getting mm. feedback on, really. Mm. I, I'm, I'm sure it is. And Bernadette, the one comment I'll make there before we wrap up, I, you know, I believe it's because you're so vulnerable the way you write that you make that easy for people to enter in and find their story by you being so open with yours. And and I remember now that that is what you shared about your brother. That was in the first book I read. And it was reading that that just forged this back back to you were talking about work, human to human connection. Mm. And allowed this, wow, this is not just some ivory tower author. This is a real person who has real pain and, and has real hopes, joys, and dreams. And to connect around that. Hey, back to the cafes you started talking about early on. What did you discover? What, what have you figured out? What was different in those two cafes? Oh, I can still see those two cafes. So I, I used to live in Western Australia. Um by the beach and there were two cafes and one just had queues out the door and the other just struggled with all these different signs outside special offers and different messages on the blackboard every week and I, I think what they were doing was they were 
competition driven. They were trying to take pieces of what everybody had done around them and put them all together. And they ended up with a Frankenstein type business. Whereas the other, the other cafe just knew who they were. They knew exactly what they were going to do. They were going to provide fresh homemade food and really good coffee and they weren't going to compromise on those things so that was their unique approach and it sounds like well that's what every cafe does but there was a way in which they that's what every cafe probably should do but there was a way in which they brought that to life that was unique to them and with the kind of hospitality that they offered and the environment, you know, the story just wasn't about what's on the menu. The story was about how we greet people when they come in the door, what kind of um, napkins we have, what kind of cups we use, what kind of coffee we choose to serve. They were very firm about certain things they weren't going to compromise on and they had a queue out the door. So they knew who they were essentially. (laughs) And my guess is they knew their customers by name, many of them. They did. What happened to them actually when they start, they were so successful that they scaled. And for customers like me who were very loyal at the start, they lost a little bit of their magic, uh, which sometimes happens because it, they found it hard to keep stay connected to their um, DNA when the owner stepped out of the business much more and began being an administrator. So ha- part of that was um, understanding how to pass the baton. So this is also a reason for being, you know, understanding what your story is because you need to communicate that to other people who are helping you live that. I would say one of the great examples in the book of that is a company called Fiasco Gelato in Canada. I know you've got a, a lot of listeners from Canada and their stories is fabulous and hats off to James for uh, helping his ever expanding team and hiring the right people to you know take his story forward yeah i love that story and i love gelato so <laughs> me too too much yeah too much hey bernadette for people that that want to learn more about you your work where would you direct them my website is the storyoftelling.com everything's there and you've blogged faithfully. Is it three times a week? Three times a week. I've got a, uh, over a thousand posts there now. So that the blog is free. Feel free to dip in there and uh, hopefully you find something that's going to help you. Hey, Bernadette, thank you so much for joining us. It's a, it's a pleasure and a privilege, Kevin. I love chatting to you. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Bernadette. Here's something that I just love. There is a worldwide revolution occurring to make work more human. And I hope you're benefiting from it in your work and at your workplace. If not, maybe you're the one to lead it. I want to echo something Bernadette said. It's not enough to tell your story. You got to live it every day and in every way. Your story is best illustrated through the decisions you make. So I love the comment she made about big questions and small choices. I hope you're making those. I hope something from today's conversation equips you to make those better. Be sure and download the story-driven framework from the show notes.
And I love this point. We all have something to contribute. You have something to contribute. The world's a better, brighter place when you and me are making our contributions. So I want to encourage you to know who you are. Be true to that in business, life, leadership. When you do, your true community, your, those you're really meant to serve will resonate and they'll come along for the journey with you. Hey, I love this book so much that I want to give seven copies of it away. These are Kindle copies. And according to the Kindle policy, you must be a U.S. resident to redeem a copy. So I'm sorry for those international listeners that, that you're not eligible to receive one of these copies. But if you're one of the first seven people to tweet, tweet me at Kevin underscore Monroe. We'll put that in the show notes. Kevin underscore Monroe. Use the hashtag story driven and uh, then we'll contact you, get your email address and get you your copy of story driven. Hey, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And until we connect again, I want to encourage you to live, love and lead with purpose. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. And remember, you can get your free 15-minute laser coaching call by going to kevindmonroe.com slash work. He'll help you get unstuck in your business.